Thank you, worship team. How many of you have seen that show? You've seen cops on TV, you like it. This isn't a trick question. I'm not gonna tell you later that that's a terrible show and you shouldn't watch it. Um, but you've seen it. You've seen them try to serve arrest warrants. Have you ever seen that? What happens when they go, what is an arrest warrant? An arrest warrant is a piece of paper that a judge has said this person is guilty and you have the right to go get him or her and bring them to face trial, okay? That's a, a warrant. Now, how many of you know when they've gone, it doesn't always go well? You seen it? And what do they do? Sometimes they have to pull out their guns to try to, because they resist. This is our warrant, okay? And when we serve it to the enemy, he doesn't always just go like this. I mean, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. That doesn't mean do it once and he flees. You serve those papers because you know what? The Bible says freedom from addiction is yours through the cross. Healing, peace, everything that it says is yes in Christ. It's the paper. And the police don't knock on the door and when the person resists, they say, well, this isn't, this must not be right. Maybe we're wrong. That's not what they do. They pull out their weapons <laughs> because they know they have the right. We don't pull out guns, but praise, declaring what God has done, is one of those weapons. And so here's the thing. We serve the enemy papers and says, I am free from this addiction in Jesus' name. And then we fall back in the addiction and we're like, it doesn't work. No. Oh, I can't raise my hands in worship. I can't, you know, because I'm a hypocrite. Lie. Lie. When you lift your hands in praise, you're not saying, I have beat my addiction. You're saying, I have the right to be free. And so you're not a hypocrite for declaring that you're free. Quite the contrary, you just know you've got the right. Does that make sense? All right. That has absolutely nothing to do, I don't think, with what I'm gonna share with you today, but I just felt like I needed to, to go into that. So we have been in a series called Put Away the Toys. Uh, maybe that fits with it. It's time to put away the toys. It's time to recognize that we have weapons in our arsenal that God has given us to destroy the enemy. And so whatever it is we need to fight against, we need to fight against it. Have you seen War Room yet? Okay, it's in, it's in town. If you've not seen it, you need to go and see it and uh, that will help you maybe even put into more sense what I've just shared with you. But uh, I wanted to start by first uh, drawing attention to a letter that I put in your mailbox a few weeks ago um, about a trip that I'm taking in January to Myanmar, the country formerly known as Burma. And uh, I'm gonna go there with Steve and Jackie Sullivan. You remember uh, Steve was the one we prayed for that uh, had meningitis and lost his hearing. And his hearing is 75% uh, restored. I mean, it's just a miracle what God has done. Um, and so I'm gonna have the opportunity to be in country with them, seeing some of the churches that they're planting. And we're gonna be looking at uh, an opportunity that we would have as a church to partner with a church in the country of Myanmar and serve them and 
partner with them and pray with them and support them financially. And so uh, please be in prayer for that trip, that if this is the direction that God wants us to take, that he provides for that, and that uh, we know that this is his will and desire. We are not obligated because I'm going. Uh, in fact, Steve said, we, we, they just kept begging. They want me to come. They want me to come. And so I, I relented. You know, I, was, I felt like the persistent widow was at my door. Um, no, I really felt like this was a trip I needed to go on, but my flesh just kept saying, you know, there's so much to do. You're so busy. Where are you going to get the money? Uh, and so finally, I just signed up and said, okay, I'm going. And uh, so if you can help uh, financially, I'd love that support. If you can pray, uh, I'd love that as well. And uh, if you want to talk more about it, I can share more with you uh, later. <clears throat> so the, the put away the toys, um, basically dealing with the, the scripture that uh, the Apostle Paul shares with the Corinthian church that... When we grow up in Christ, it's time to put away childish things. In fact, we grow up by putting away childish things. I mean, physical maturity just happens as a result of time. Spiritual maturity happens as a result of obedience. Does that make sense? You mature physically no matter what. I mean, your body just grows and develops. You, you, it just happens. Spiritual maturity will not just happen. You can have served the Lord for 50 years and be a spiritual baby. If you are not walking in obedience to the word of God and you're putting into practice what he said and putting away childish behaviors and childish things, you're not mature. And there are believers who have been faithful in church attendance for 50 years that are less mature than people that have been saved for three months. And we don't want to be like that. We want to put into practice what God is, is doing. And so we're using a book by Eugene Peterson called Perseverance, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It uses the Psalms of Ascent. The songs, the songs that are sung by the, the Hebrews as they ascended to Jerusalem to worship God because that's where God lived, we are using them as they ascended physically, we are ascending spiritually. And as we ascend to where God is, as we continue to grow, we're using the Psalms of Ascent to help us in that. So we've talked about growth, we've talked about repentance, we've talked about trust, we've talked about worship. Today we're on part five. I can't believe we're on part five already. Um, there's a lot more parts to go, uh, but uh, we're on part five. In fact, I, I had the thought this week that maybe I need to preach the same part for like a month straight. Because at sometimes, don't you just feel like, man, I got a lot of stuff to start putting into practice. Do you ever feel like that? And so maybe if I just preached one for four weeks, it would give us time to get that one, to get a handle on that before we moved on to part two. So you can't just, we can't just move on and forget the other things that we've talked about as we've gone through these Psalms. And so my prayer is that the Holy Spirit helps us and it's only with his help that we're ever gonna put any of this into practice. And so I'm gonna trust that he's gonna do the work. So today, part five, service, we're gonna go to Psalm 123. This is the fourth of the Psalms of Ascent. We didn't use one in, the, in part one, but this is the fourth one. And this is how it reads from the message version. I look to you, heaven-dwelling God. Look up to you for help. Like servants alert to their master's commands. Like a maiden attending her lady. We're watching and waiting, holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Mercy God, mercy, we've been kicked around long enough, kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men, kicked when we're down by arrogant brutes. 
As we grow and mature in the Christian life, there are certain necessities, there's certain skills that we have to develop and acquire. One of those skills is service. Psalm 123 is a picture of Christian service. In the Psalm, we're not instructed in what we are supposed to do, but we are given kind of a picture of what is done. I mean, we're given a picture of what Christian service looks like because a psalm is not a lecture. A psalm is a, a song, and so it's poetic in nature. And so in this psalm, just like many of the other psalms, we have evidence of what happens when a, a human being begins to follow the Lord, when the, a human being begins to believe in the Lord and love the Lord and obey the Lord. This is a picture of what happens. A psalm is not a rule book that we need to follow, but kind of like a snapshot, if you will, a picture of what it is to play the game of life and to play it in the way that pleases the Lord. And so in this picture, in this psalm, we're learning about what service is. And the first thing that we're gonna learn is that service begins with an upward look to God. Service begins with an upward look to God. He says, I look to you, I look up to you, heaven dwelling God. That's where he begins. God is over us, God is above us. The person of faith looks up to God. We put trust in him, we look up to him, we don't look down on him, we don't look at him eyeball to eyeball, we look up to him. A servant assumes a posture. A servant doesn't stand toe to toe with their master. A servant always recognizes his position is below, beneath the master. And that's what this psalm teaches us. It recognizes that. We very easily can get the wrong idea when we start following Christ. Because as we start experiencing freedom and as we start studying the word, we get a sense of confident ability. We get a sense of, of power. In fact, the scriptures, like, like these two, from Luke chapter 11, I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Philippians chapter two, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form, and then the, song, the rest of the, the letter continues. So what we see is God presents himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ as a servant. And so we can read passages like Luke 11, and we can read passages like 2, Philippians chapter 2, and we can get the wrong idea that uh, we can command God. We are never in the position where we command him. It would be easy for us to begin to assume that we are master if he is servant, but God is not our servant. He is not someone that we call into action on our behalf. Even when he moves into action on our behalf, it's for his glory because he's the master. He's not just an expert that we call on when we need advice. I mean, we just, we use our advice and our wisdom as long as we can, but then when, you know, it, when this problem is a little bigger than me, I just call on my expert. He's not the phone a friend. He's not our buddy that we would just call alongside of us whenever it's convenient. Hey, I'm kind of lonely today. I need my buddy. 
And the rest of the week, it's just, you know, I'll just, you know, forget God that he's even there. And so the psalm starts by telling us that God is our heaven-dwelling God. Now, that phrase is not a phrase about geography. It's not just saying this is the location of where God is. That's a, a defining of our relationship. He is the heaven-dwelling God. He's above us. He is master, I'm servant. He is creator, I am creation. And so from the get-go of this psalm, the psalmist is helping us understand that he is God. And if he is a heaven-dwelling God, if he is God at all, then he is much more fully aware of what I need than I am. And so even when I ask him to act on my behalf, I have to be aware that he knows way more than I do about what I'm asking. And so he may need to refine my asking. But the nice thing about God is he's master, but he is such a good master. He is so abounding in love and mercy. I mean, it's not like one strike and you're out. In fact, he gives us way too many strikes, in my opinion. He abounds in mercy. The scripture says his mercies are new every single morning. That's as if he's never offered it before. See, we think in terms of, I've already given you mercy like a dozen times. But with God, his mercies are brand new every single morning. He's not keeping a record of our wrongs. He's not tallying up how many times he's been merciful to us like we do. He's not like us. The second element in our service has to do with just that. It has to do with our expectation. What do we expect? When we start to look up to this heaven-dwelling God, what should we expect? Because the thing about God is he is so mysterious and so powerful and so far beyond our ability to comprehend that uh, we'll never fully penetrate who he is. I mean, we cannot put God in a box I mean, we cannot fully understand everything about him. We can't define him. We can't package him. But that does not mean we can't know him. It doesn't mean that we're just drifting in sea and we're not sure what to expect and well, what kind of God are we going to have today? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we may not be able to fully understand him, but what we do get to know about him never changes. And what we can expect every time we go to God is mercy. Three times the psalmist declares that word mercy. We're watching and waiting, holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Mercy, God mercy. See, the Bible tells us over and over and over again, it reminds us, that God intends good for us. And he will have his way in us. Now, sometimes that good may contain some parts of the journey that don't appear good in order to get us to his good. But he will continue to be faithful to us. Even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. And so every time, we get mercy. When we cry out to the Lord, that's what we get. Psalm 103 verse 10 says, he does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. I have yet to go to God and get what I deserve. Psalm 
had an interesting discussion with Micaiah this week. We rewarded her for something she did, and, and uh, she, she said, well, what's my reward for doing the BGMC bike-a-thon? I said, oh, honey, you'll get that reward from Jesus, because every time you raise money for missionaries and every time you tell people about Jesus, he's keeping track of that stuff, and he's going to reward you in heaven. So I wouldn't dare give you a reward for that here, because then it will it'll just pale in comparison to what he has. She's like, really? It says that? I'm like, oh, yeah, does it say that? And so it was a great discussion. One day... He's going to give me some things because of what I've done for him. But even everything he gives me, I don't deserve. I mean, he's keeping a record and he's trying to find me, do stuff well, so that he can say, well, I mean, he's not looking for me to do it wrong. He's not looking so that, to take away my reward. He is, in fact, being so gracious and merciful that he's trying his best to give me what he intends for me. But that's why we take off our crowns and we cast them at his feet. That's what the Bible says we'll do with them. Because in that moment, we will recognize that even though this is, is really what I, I deserve from a human standpoint, I don't deserve it. Because everything I did was you. And so everything we get from God is mercy. He is the potter and we're the clay. And he patiently works with us to form us and make us into a vessel that he can use for his glory. Mercy, God, mercy. That cry, that prayer is not a prayer that's trying to get God to do something that he doesn't want to do. This is a prayer that actually taps into what God wants to do, what he has said he wants to do. He's told us, cry out to me and I'll give you mercy. Turn away from your behavior and I will give you mercy. It doesn't mean turn away first and then I'll give you mercy. It means come to me and tell me I need to get away from this and I'll give you mercy. And he'll give us grace. He'll give us the empowerment to turn away from it. Mercy is an express longing, this cry to receive what God has done for us in Christ. I love the song by Phillips Craig and Dean that says mercy came running that's the picture of the cross. Mercy comes running to us. When we cry out mercy, that's our prayer instead of God just give me what I want. I don't pray Luke 11, God give me everything I want. Here's what I'm asking for, give me what I want. I just cry out mercy, mercy. I don't pray God reward me for my goodness. I don't pray God punish me for my badness so I can feel better. Don't you just wish he would do that? I mean, when we mess up big time, don't you just wish he would punish us just a little bit to take away the guilt? But he wants us to understand mercy. And it's not my goodness and it's not my badness, it's his goodness. It's mercy. We pray mercy. We live under mercy. And when we look up to a heaven-dwelling God and we cry out mercy, we don't expect our heaven-dwelling God to stay up there. We expect him to come down and get in our mess with us and treat us not as we deserve, but with mercy. How do we know that? Because he's already showed us. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why Paul in Romans 8 says, if God has done this much, how will he not give us everything else? I mean, if he would go through the cross, why would he cut us off now? Mercy. 
The only thing that will keep us from receiving mercy is the failure to ask for it, to cry out to him. And so the third part of the servant life is urgency. Urgency, mercy. We've been kicked around long enough, kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men, kicked when we're down by arrogant brutes. See, the, the idea or the, the, the experience of servanthood or slavery has been around for ages. It's been around throughout all human history. And there's never been one instance where servanthood or slavery was happy, at least for the slave or the servant. And the, the psalmist understands this because the psalmist lives in a time when servanthood and slavery are an institution. And so they understand the cry to be set free from oppression, from slavery. And the ironic thing is, we live in a culture where we talk about freedom. Freedom is on everybody's lips. We, we declare it, we pray it, we announce it, we celebrate it, but yet so many of us do not feel or act free. Isn't that ironic? In fact, we live in a nation of complainers, and we live in a society full of addicts, which is so weird for a country that celebrates freedom. You know what that shows us? That any relationship outside of God always reverts to oppression every single time. We can't have freedom apart from Christ. There is no freedom apart from Christ. That's why in our nation every day people complain, I don't get to spend my money the way I want. I don't get to spend my time the way I want. I don't get to do what I want. We complain. That's why our society is full of addicts everywhere we turn. Drug and alcohol addiction, sexual addiction, inside and outside of the church. Everywhere we turn, the compulsive behavior of Americans. Hello. You get <laughs> compulsive? That's what we are. And yet we're a free nation. When the believer starts to recognize this, all of a the sudden there's an urgency that begins to cry out for freedom from oppression. Because all we've done is trade one slave, one master for another. And Jesus said, I came to set you free. But let me tell you, that freedom is not what we think humanly. Because look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter two. Thank God he has made us his captives. He's made us his captives. See, we realize that we need to switch from the mastery of sin and self to the mastery of God. And he can be trusted. Didn't we talk about that in the psalm already? He can be trusted. And so we want to make him master. In fact, we want to do it urgently because we want to press into it our serving the lord is not just a casual standing around you know just waiting for him to bark out a command it's an attentive listening speak lord your servant is listening it's a pressing into him knowing that i need to follow what he tells me because he has planned good for me he's got mercy at every turn and so i want to hear him 
the best commentary that we have in the New Testament that fits with this psalm is Romans chapter 12 through 16. Romans chapter 12 through verse 16. That's where it really talks about serving more than any other passage in the Bible. Those four chapters really illustrate what it means. And it starts with this in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. See, the psalm that we read doesn't just express a desire to be a servant. It expresses the action of serving. It talks about him being master and us being Lord. It even refers to being a a lady in waiting. I know, guys, that's not a great picture for us and we don't want that. So just forget about that one and just, he's, he's our Lord, we're his master. You can be a knight in his army just awaiting his command if you want. You don't have to be a lady in waiting if that helps you grasp it. But our motivation is him helping us. I can't be a servant in my own strength. If he doesn't help me, if it doesn't come from him, there's no chance. That's why it starts by looking up to him. That's why it it continues in this call for, for mercy, and then there's an urgency, this desire to really press in to know him. It ends with the phrase that we're offering it to God as an offering. Some translations actually say this is our reasonable service. Literally, that means it's a service that makes sense. In other words, in light of what God has done for us, it's only reasonable that we in turn would be his servants. It's our reasonable service. That word service means the work I do on behalf of of others. Literally, the work I do on behalf of the community the ecclesia. And then Paul takes the next 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, these chapters, and he begins to dissect what that means. If your gift is this, use it to serve people this way. If your gift is this, use it to serve people this way. Be hospitable to others. Love them, serve them, honor them. People, human beings. That's what Paul teaches us in those chapters. See, the psalm does not tell us about serving others. Psalm 123 says absolutely nothing about serving people, does it? It says everything about serving God. But what we know from God, what we know from his commands in the scripture is this, that whenever we put ourselves in posture with him as master and me as servant, whenever I come into that relationship, it's not long before I realize my service to him is not only to him, but my service to him extends to those on my right and my left. And for too long in the church, we've been content to say, he's my Lord, but we're not serving the people on our right and our left. There's a disconnect, and it can't be that way. Because the extent that I serve them is the extent that I serve him. He does not want us to come to him if we're out of relationship with one another. Did you know that? The Bible says if you come before me, God speaking, and you bring your gift and you lay it at the altar, but when you do it, you remember you've got a problem with someone. You go take care of that and then you come back and give me your gift. 
pause and think about that for just a moment. God is not okay with our disjointed relationships and hurts. He wants us to deal with them. It's not okay. As we start to develop this lifestyle of serving, because serving is not what we do, it's who we are. All of a sudden, the command to be hospitable, to be compassionate, to visit the sick, to help others, to heal, as we start to serve him, those commands become louder in our hearts and in our lives. And it's seen by others. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and bring glory to your Father in heaven. Isn't that what it says? So as we assume the role of servant before the Lord, we become servants of one another. Service becomes who we are and not what we do. Am I right? We also have the example of Christ from John chapter 13. Jesus, after he has washed his disciples' feet, he's taken the position of servant because when you walk around in sandals on dirt roads, your feet get very dirty. And when you sit at a table that does not have chairs, your feet that close to you uh, present a problem. Sweaty, dirty feet. Mmm, let's have, pass the the pork. (laughs) Just kidding, they didn't eat pork. Pass the lamb. (laughs) I mean, you get the picture? It's important to wash your feet before you come to the table. We wash our hands. They wash their feet. They had a specific servant who was assigned that task. Somebody dropped the ball. They didn't get the servant to wash them for the Passover, the Last Supper, biggest night of the year, guys. Way to go. Somebody neglected that. And the disciples we know from the other gospels are sitting around arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. When Jesus sets up his kingdom, I'm, I'm better than you. Peter's like, I got out of the boat. Where were you guys? James and John almost spilled the beans. Well, yeah, we were on the mountain when Jesus told us not to tell that until, man, I could really use that here. That would improve my standing. And they're all arguing. What does Jesus do? He gets up from the table He puts a towel around his waist and he begins to wash their feet. And Peter, in a moment of pride, says, oh, no, 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 you won't wash my feet. He says, Peter, you don't understand. I need to wash your feet because I am a servant. This is who I am. And look what he says to them. Do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher and master and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I the master and teacher washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. This is not a suggestion, guys. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. (laughs) A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee does not give orders to the employer. Right, Mark? Your employees don't tell you how to run the business. You tell them. (laughs) That's what we do. That's what Jesus says. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. Now, we all want to live that blessed life, but is there another way other than washing feet? I mean, let me sign up for that way. He said, do you understand what I've done? You address me as teacher. 
I've washed your feet, wash each other's feet. I've laid down that pattern. What I've done, you do. I'm pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. Live a blessed life. So why don't we serve? Why is it so difficult for us to take on the nature of a servant? Let me give you a couple roadblocks. I know what time it is. I'm gonna get you out on time, I promise. But let me give you a couple roadblocks. Number one, we don't pay attention. Jesus says in John chapter four, you say four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up and look around, the fields are ripe for harvest. Too many of us in the church are walking around with our heads down, either in defeated mode or oblivious mode. Jesus says all around you, there are opportunities to be servants. If you would just take on the nature of a servant, you would see them. In 1 John chapter three, he says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? In other words, if I have the ability to help you and I see you in need, I don't need to wait for an audible voice from God to step in. I just need to act. Now, if I don't have the ability to help, it doesn't say put it on a credit card. If I don't have the time in my schedule because of other commitments I've made, especially the commitment to my family, then I can't do it. But if I have the ability, I do it. Well, I don't really want to do it. See, that's not in there. Because there are times when I don't really want to do it, but that's too bad. Because I'm not master. He is. James chapter two, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or no clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day. <laughs> Stay warm, eat well, and you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good is that? And you know what James says? That kind of faith will never save you. God bless you in, in the name of the Lord. That's not saving faith. Faith, Saving faith acts. So, Sometimes it's just because we're not paying attention. A second reason is we're too busy. We're too busy. Jesus tells a parable about somebody who receives the word of God, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke out that word, making it unfruitful. Some of us need to take a sword to our schedules because we don't have time to help anybody. Now, that doesn't mean if I've made a commitment to help someone, I should back out of that commitment. The Bible says if you said you're gonna commit to something, see it through. Now, if the Lord helps you get out of that commitment in a way that both sides are okay with, get out of the commitment. But sometimes we just need to stop saying yes to everything. This last week, someone asked me to do something. And I wanted to do it. I thought, you know, I should do it because they've helped us and I really should do this and help them. And I had to fight it because the last thing I need to do right now is say yes to something else. In fact, there's some things that I've said yes to that I probably need to take a machete to and go wink and cut that thing out. And so I had to say no. We need to learn that because I can't be too busy to help people. 
We can't be too busy to be a servant. The third reason, a third reason, not the third reason, is complacency and laziness. Every one of us has a gift that we've been given, something we do well. And there's a story that Jesus tells about a guy that gets this gift and he hides it. He doesn't do anything with it. And on the day he presents that to his master, the master says to him, you wicked, lazy servant. You wanted to watch Netflix and not serve me. You never missed your favorite show, but you didn't walk across the street to help your neighbor. That's what he said. You were like, Pat, I don't see that in there. Read between the lines. You'll see it. In fact, he's got a version just for you. And it's not like my version. Because my version is going to be different than yours. Wicked, lazy servant. Another one, the last one I'm going to share with you, and probably the hardest one, is our past hurts and disappointments. Sometimes we don't serve others because we become cynical and jaded because we've been hurt and disappointed in the past. Romans chapter 12, verse one, I put it up here from the amplified version. We read it from the message version earlier, but it leaves something out that we need to see. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and I beg of you, in view of all the mercies, I should have bolded that, underlined it, made it bigger, of God. In view of the mercies of God. We've, I've spent a whole lot of time today talking about the mercy God has extended towards you and me, right? Look at what the Bible says. Matthew chapter five, Jesus' words. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Luke chapter six, Jesus again. Be merciful, full of mercy, just as your father is merciful. Matthew chapter nine, Jesus talking to church people. Go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. See, if we do not show mercy to other humans, we have failed to recognize the mercy given to us first. Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 18 about a guy who had a debt. And that debt was roughly $10,000, or excuse me, a million dollars. And he begged the master, forgive me, forgive me, don't throw me in prison, and he had mercy. He said, he didn't even just give him more time. That's what he asked for. Give me more time. Isn't that what we do with God? God, give me more time and I'll prove it. I'll prove I can be a good person. God says, I don't want you to prove nothing. I'm gonna give you mercy. And he, he forgives the debt. And that guy goes outside and he finds someone who owes him $10,000. Now that's a large sum of money, correct? $10,000, a lot of money? Yep, it is. Now, if I put two piles here and said one's 10,000, one's a million, you can pick one. Ain't not one of you pick the $10,000. Don't lie. We'd all pick the million. 
It's huge. I mean, the comparison's not even close. The tithe on a million is even bigger than 10,000. So pick the million. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. <laughs> but here's the point. He threw that guy in jail until he could pay back the $10,000. The point is, $10,000 is a lot of money. If I put $10,000 in $1, you'd pick 10,000. It's a big deal. And you would thank me a lot. If I wrote you a check today for 10,000, you would express, more, you'd be more than like, well thank you, that was very kind of you. I mean, you'd be, every time you saw me for like weeks, you'd be like, I still can't believe you wrote me that check. I didn't deserve that. It's a lot of money. And the, the point that Jesus is trying to make is the debt that he has given us mercy on is the million dollars. And there is not a human being on earth that will ever, we will ever be required to pay mercy to that will even come close to that. Even though that $10,000 is a zinger. Even though people will do things to us to hurt us and want us to become jaded and cynical and stop showing mercy and stop serving others and stop trusting God, even though that's gonna wanna happen, we're gonna refuse because we understand how merciful he's been with us. Well, but Pastor Tom, you don't understand. How are they ever gonna learn the same way we did? As I told you, I have never gone to him and been given what I deserve. Now, does he correct me? Yes. Does he sometimes rebuke me? Yes. But does he ever give me what I deserve? No. Does he ever say, you know what, Tom, this is the third time this week that you've come for this same thing. You would think, never, never. And there's a disconnect in our human relationships. I don't know if we just don't like to think about it or what, but we're not listening to this. And the thing is, is if we're not merciful to others, it blocks up the mercy we, we can receive from God. It doesn't say God stops offering it. We're just unable to receive it. God never stops offering mercy, ever. He's merciful, he can't. But your ability to receive it will be affected by the ability to give it. Psalm 123 illustrates this for us. It takes us from oppression. I've been kicked in the teeth by complacent men. It takes us to freedom, awaiting the word of mercy. And it takes us into a new servanthood. We are like servants alert to their master's commands. It teaches us really how to use our freedom under the lordship of our merciful God. That's the picture that we have in Psalm 123. And he can be trusted. He can be trusted. Our merciful God would not tell us to be merciful to others unless he knew something about mercy. See, last week we talked about worship being a weapon, remember? Mercy is a weapon. In Romans chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, where we already talked about, Paul says if you want to overcome evil, overcome evil with good. That's a weapon. Because before you ever can change someone's life, you have to fight against the principality behind it. How many of you know there's a spirit 
behind homosexuality. Okay? We are not going to win that if the church doesn't battle against the spirit behind it. You can write the most glorious speech you can come up with to try to convince people to turn from their wicked behavior, but until that principality and power is disarmed, served papers, if you will, and we lead the homosexual to the cross where they can receive mercy, we're not going to win that battle. Use the right weapons, please. Use the right weapons. So the scripture tells us, look up, because the harvest is ready. Amen? Pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you, first of all, for your mercy. Your mercy is new every morning. God, I thank you that you have never treated us as our sins deserve, even at times when we've wanted to be treated that way because it would help us to deal with the guilt that we carry. Father, I pray for each of us today to be able to fully receive your mercy. That we would be able to fully understand your mercy so that we are able to offer that same mercy to others that are in the exact same condition that we used to be in. God, help us. Help us to apply the truths of your word today. As we close this service today, I want to give you a chance to respond to the word. There are some of you here today that need to assume a new posture. You need to look up to God as Lord and Master. You've been trying to call your own shots thinking that you're in freedom, but in reality, you're not. Because every one of us serves a master. And we will either yield ourselves to the master who is merciful, or we will, by default, be mastered by sin and the enemy. The Bible's clear, everyone has a master. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, I need a new posture. I need to repent. I've put limitations on my serving. I've actually said, God, I'm not going to do this as if I'm the one calling the shots. And you'd be bold enough to say, you know what, I need a new posture. I need to look up to God. If that's you, would you put up your hand and say, that's me? Pray for me. Anyone else? Thank you for your honesty. Anyone else? Awesome. Awesome. See, the moment you lifted your hand, what you get now is mercy. And some of you are here today and you're still trying to pay your debt. Some of you just wish that God would give you something other than mercy. But he's not going to. And you need to let yourself off the hook. 
you're here today and you say, you know what? I need to admit to the Lord that I've not received his mercy and I need to just receive it today. Would you slip up your hand? Say, that's me. I need to receive his mercy. The last group that I want to respond and then we'll pray is if you're in this room and your servanthood has looked more like lukewarm and complacent than urgent. Maybe it's time to look up. It's time to stop making excuses. It's time to clear out the schedule so that the fruit of the gospel isn't choked out. It's time to extend mercy to others. If you're here and you say, you know what? My servanthood, for lack of a better way to say it, just needs a kick in the pants. It needs to be a lot more urgent than it's been. I need to assume the posture of speak, Lord, your servant listens. If that's you, would you be honest enough to say that's me? That's me. I need to start serving others in a way that I haven't before. If you lifted your hand for any reason, would you stand to your feet as we close in prayer? If you're here and you haven't lifted your hand and you need to, I'm gonna ask you to stand with them, but I'm not gonna make you move. I just want you to stand and say, you know what? I lifted my hand today for one of these reasons. And so I'm gonna stand and acknowledge that today. I stood with you. And so Father, today in response to your word, here we are. God, we look up to you because you're our help. For those of us today that have to acknowledge that we've been playing master, at least trying to, and we recognize that that is futile, you are a merciful God that can be trusted, and we need to position our lives in a way that makes you master that surrenders to your Lordship in every way. Help us with that. Father, for those today that need your help receiving mercy, that have been trying to pay back the wrongs that they've done, God, I just pray for mercy today. overwhelm their heart, their life, and their mind. That when the enemy tries to resist that and tries to bring guilt and condemnation, God, that they would use every promise of mercy in your word to serve him his papers. That they would resist him until he flees. Father, for those of us today that need more urgency in our lives, that have been too complacent, that for whatever reason haven't noticed the needs around us or have ignored the needs around us, we need a change. God, we need your help. We need your help changing priorities, changing our schedule releasing past hurts and disappointments. We need your help just to pay attention, not to be so consumed with self that we miss the harvest that's right in front of us. 
And so Lord, that's our cry. In response to your word, we give ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, help us now to make the changes that need to be made so that your fruit becomes more evident in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These altars are always open. If you want to spend some time in prayer, if you want to be prayed for and haven't had the opportunity to be prayed for, our prayer team would love the chance to pray with you. Uh, just come find a place, find one of us. We'd love to pray with you. When you're ready to be, dis to be dismissed, uh, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to pray. And then just save your visiting for out in the, the foyer area. God bless you as you go today.